continue in uh, our series on 1 Corinthians. We're in the 10th chapter. Uh, and uh, interestingly enough, that means it's the 10th sermon. Good news in the midst of the slavery of the prevailing culture is what this uh, series is titled. And uh, we come to the 10th chapter. I'll read the first 13 verses for us. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, as we read through the Bible, we can see all sorts of biblical characters who were encouragers to other people. I mean, if you want to think about the Old Testament examples, think about Abraham and and what an encouragement and a help he was to Lot, as well as other members of his family, as well as others in his greater community. Or think about what Joshua did for Moses, the great help he was to him with all the challenges with which he was faced. And early on, Jonathan was just like that for David, especially when King Saul was chasing David all over the wilderness trying to kill him. Jonathan was the one true friend that David could count on. But should we turn to the New Testament, one of the greatest encouragers we find there is easy to name because that's what his name
see a name in Scripture that has B-A-R on the front of it. It's son of whatever follows, just like it's son of novice son of encouragement. Now, Barnabas is mentioned 29 times in the New Testament, and almost every single time he's shown in a positive light. In Acts 9, for example, he's the one who, who takes Paul to see the apostles. You know, Paul has this tremendous reputation of being a, a fierce persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. And once people heard that he was converted, I'm sure they didn't believe him. You know, it's, it's just a plot. It's just a ploy for him to infiltrate the church and then kill us all. And so the apostles wouldn't have anything to do with him, but Barnabas took him to the apostles and said, you need to hear this guy's testimony. I'm paraphrasing. That's the kind of argument that he was he was using. And then when the church in Jerusalem began to uh, undergo a great persecution that we can read about in Acts 11, we're told that the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas to the city of Antioch. And we're told there that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of every New Testament verse about him cast him in a positive light, there is none that looks down. Because in Galatians 2, Paul begins to talk about how one time he had to rebuke Peter to his face because Peter was eating with Gentiles and seeing that God was calling that okay. And then all of a sudden, a group from the Jerusalem church of Jews came and all of a sudden, Paul, uh, Peter didn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He, he withdrew from them because Paul says he feared the circumcision party. And then Paul says, and with Peter, the rest of the Jews acted insincerely so that even Barnabas was carried away by their insincerity. This is one of the many places in Scripture where we're shown that our past faith and ways in which we've been used by God for the good of the kingdom is no guarantee of our willingness to stay true to God in the past. If you don't believe that, if you just want an Old Testament example, think about King Solomon, who did not run away from God as he attempted to try. teaches us that the Christian faith and life is not some kind of accomplishment. In other words, we can never arrive where we need to be. We're never fully sanctified in this life. Rather, it's a race to be run. It's not an accomplishment. It's a race to be run, as Hebrews 12 teaches, and it's a fight to be fought. It's a faith to be kept to the very end, as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4. In fact, it's an ongoing spiritual battle of sorts, as Paul makes clear in Ephesians 6 when he implores all of us to put on the whole armor of God so that we might stand against whom? The devil. 
is spiritual war is evident to us in the congregation with all that's happened to us and families here in the midst of this church starting back in April and continuing now into the other of our precious children and grandchildren. As we can see, being spiritually vigilant is not some As Jesus said so well, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is what Paul is trying to get across to these Corinthians. He said as much at the end of chapter 9, what John spoke to last week, when he wrote that they should run in such a way, in other words, they should live their lives in such a way as to obtain the prize. And he went on to say that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable That word exercise, as in exercise self-control, speaks to the notion of discipline, does it not? This Christian life is lived by discipline. It's work. And it requires time and effort, and it requires patience and self-control. It requires watchfulness and, and, and a willingness and effort to persevere, to press on, as Paul puts it in Philippians 3, even when things are not going well, and even when we think that God is nowhere to be found in our lives. As the psalmist put it, how long? such a way as to obtain the prize. And this is the case even though they had so many things going for them. He basically makes the point that they too had their own form of baptism and their own form of the Lord's Supper, the spiritual food that they ate, nourishment provided by God Himself through Christ as it were. In other words, God in Christ was working freedom for His people Israel, just as He has worked freedom from sin for you and me through all that Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Yet what happened? Paul tells us that with most of them, God was not there. And they were overcome in the wilderness. This is Paul's way of saying to the Corinthians that just because you've been baptized, And just because you participate in the Lord's Supper, that doesn't mean that you're somehow magically protected if you desire evil as your fathers and mothers did in the wilderness. And it's not hard to see what this means for you and me. We could put it this way, just because we're church members, that doesn't mean very much. And if we pause here for a moment, we could make the point spiritual fathers and mothers did in the wilderness. 
yes, we have baptism and, and we have the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, but we also have our own copies of Scripture that we can read and study at any time. And through books and the Internet, we have almost unlimited avenues of studying God's Word that He's made available to us. We also have modern conveyances to get to worship. We don't have to worry about it being hot when we worship, though we almost did this morning. And that wedding last night, the main air conditioning went out, and we can give thanks to David R. about 11 years ago. He came up here one time in a night and said, I want to be preaching today. Most importantly, we have God's presence, and it's power through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the peace that only He can give. You see what I'm saying? We have it made in every single way we could imagine, and yet just like the Corinthians, we too can be destroyed. In other words, there's a danger even to the strongest, most mature, most blessed Christian, a danger from the prevailing culture with all of its evil influence. Have you ever been back in that country? I hope everyone now recognizes what's going on in that country. And you're vacuuming along and all of a sudden you see a little intruder or one of the abandoned spiders or something and you move that back in its place to get that spider get closer to him. He can hold on for a little while, but uh, finally it, it overcomes him and he's to be seen no more. This is the picture of evil that we have in the church. As Peter reminds us in his first letter, the fifth chapter, our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Evil is always trying to pry us loose, to suck us up, and we have to continually watch and pray against that. And we can guard against that through prayer, yes. And we can guard against that through God's Word, yes. I've laid up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But also through corporate worship, through coming and being with one another here in God's presence, and Hebrews 10 tells us why. For there we can read, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. You see, as we come together in worship as a congregation, we not only sing praises to God, we not only worship Him in other ways by bringing offerings and that sort of thing, but we try to encourage and invite one another in. This is one of the reasons for our doing this, why corporate worship is good and why second part of Paul's argument, the next paragraph, verses 6 through 13, where he applies all of this 
directly to the Corinthians and by extension to you and me. So look at verse 6. These things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And he begins to list off the kinds of things that the children of Israel did, how they were idolaters and they indulged in sexual immorality and they were grumblers and they put Christ to the test. Notice how for Paul there, God and Christ were interchangeable. Now we could spend a lot of time looking up these stories in Exodus and Numbers to which Paul refers and we could delve into Paul's understanding of the Old Testament and how it is Christian Scripture and therefore that's why it's important for us to read the Old Testament and be familiar with it because as he tells us here in verse 11, these things were written down, why? For our instruction. But how can we learn from the Old Testament if we hardly ever read it? Paul is pointing toward the importance of Scripture at work in our lives. He wants us to remember the past, but through that remembering, make sure that we don't relive the same kinds of mistakes and sins that those in the faith have done who have gone before us. And though this is not his main point, he's also showing us that the Christian church is the people of God in a new age. We live as those on whom the end of the ages has come, which means we are alive in a time when the great promises of the Old Testament are being brought to fruition generation by generation. As Hebrews 1 tells us, in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. These are the last days, and God is at work in a mighty way. Again, even though we could spend a lot of time with all of this, what is Paul's main point here? His point is that just as God did not put up with idolatry from His people Israel, so will He not put up with idolatry from the Corinthians, nor from you and me. And let's face it, our idolatry today could be defined with lots of words. We talk about that in terms of, of money, of sex, of, of power, of celebrity, influence. But the real issue is ultimately that we idolize our sins. Is it not? That's what idolatry is all about. That's what the children of Israel, that's why they got into trouble because they did what they wanted to do instead of what God was calling them to do. But notice that Paul summarizes all of this in verse 10. You want to know it's a summary because he uses the word therefore. Therefore. Anytime you see that word in Scripture, you look back to what was just said. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands... Take heed, lest he fall. Obviously, that's a challenge. Just like Barnabas, we might be a good man or woman, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, but even we can be carried away. We need to take heed, lest we fall. John Calvin has some important things to say in the 12th verse in his commentary. He begins to talk about assurance, which 
sounds a little strange, but you know, if you if you think that you stand, you are assured. Now then, we're going to talk about people that are assured. He says the first rests on the promises of God, so that the believer is convinced in his heart that God will never leave him. And relying on this conviction, he stands up to Satan and sin, cheerful. And undaunted. However, at the same time, remembering his own weakness, he falls back on God in fear and humility, and in his anxiety, willingly commits himself to God. Calvin says this kind of assurance is a holy thing and cannot be sympathized It's a great war, but that the war has already been won by Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. Note here what Calvin is saying there. If you want a biblical example of it, think about Paul's words in Romans 8, where he says, If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? We stand up to Satan and to sin and God, and we willingly commit ourselves to God. In the midst of hard times, like this congregation, and some of our families have experienced and are still experiencing, it's called the Satan. says the other kind of assurance has its roots in nonchalance when men are bursting with pride because of the gifts they have and are quite unconcerned about their own situation with the result that they are open to all kinds of attacks from Satan. Calvin says it's this kind. Stand because we rely on 
Gegenteil sogar nicht sein. Es gibt uns. You know, the children of Israel had their freedom and they had water and drink in this land, in the desert. And they had food provided every single day. And they had God always on hand. And they had each other. And most of them still gave in to the pagan culture. What was left? The real you. Especially as this world continues to push and push and push against the culture of Jesus Christ. And then Paul gives us a great encouragement about temptation in verse 13. And this verse is so important, not just to his scheme of things, but to your spiritual well-being and to my spiritual well-being that we'll come back to it next week and spend the entire 